Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for tuning in and Happy New Year. I am very pumped to start 2024 with an episode with Chris Hively, who is the co-founder of MapQuest as well as the Startup Factory. He's invested in over 42 companies. He's the author of Building the Fort, where his book talks about building a fort and how it's very similar to building a business and being an entrepreneur. And Chris is going to tell stories about his journey of building MapQuest as well as investing in these startups using the language from his book of Building the Fort. He's going to dive into things like entrepreneurship and innovation, the impact of technology on society, the cultural shift in entrepreneurship over the last handful of decades, as well as how to maintain your personal growth and passion and have a good relationship with your business and your goals while you're growing your business or businesses. And he uses his Building the Fort framework to have these discussions and tell these stories. I know you're absolutely going to love this conversation. If you like this podcast, my one request would be is go on to your podcast player that you're listening to right now, leave the show review because we want to keep getting great guests like Chris, and we're going to be leveling up our 2024 podcast content as we continue to add more mini-series and themes so that way we're helping deliver a lot of education as well as good stories and economic and M&A updates. So thanks everybody for tuning in, and I really hope you enjoy this interview with Chris. This episode is brought to you by Arcona's Fractional CFO Services. Arcona's Fractional CFOs integrate into your management team and assume the responsibility of the CFO. They become your strategic financial partner to help you run the business, create your value growth plan, and build the financial roadmap to the valuation you want to achieve. Chris, how are you? I am just peachy keen. I love it. I'm uh, very, very excited for this conversation. I, I just even just getting a, a little bit of, of uh, background before we hit record. I uh, am excited because I think we're sharing similar views on, on entrepreneurship and what it takes to to get what we want. And uh, as I had mentioned, I I have this uncanny ability to read the book after I go through the misery. And I think hopefully what we can do is shed some light on. Uh, I think you have some really cool philosophies on, on entrepreneurship. Maybe just kind of give us a, the, the 50,000 foot overview of the book, kind of a little bit of your background and then we'll unpack it. Yeah. Um, I think uh, why we're connecting is I was, a, you know, uh, maybe I shouldn't tell your audience, you're like, I was a terrible student, you know. No, no yeah, no, I, they know it. <laughs> it's all good. They know. Yeah. So, you know, I was just an average student, didn't know what I was going to do in high school, went to college for a year, dropped out after a year. I'm the only guy I know that had to drop out of college um, because of bad grades, not because I had too much fun, just because it's just part of it. <laughs> I didn't have the fun nor the smarts to actually figure this shit out. <laughs> it's like, you know, if you're going to get asked to leave, you might as well like go out burning, right? You know, building that. Light the, burn the boats on the way back, on the way back, on the way um, out. Yeah. You know, just, and it's just, just too young and immature to kind of, figure out how the game was played. What's interesting is I was a pipe fitter in around Philadelphia for about a year and a half. And uh, there's nothing like doing that at $5 and 50 cents an hour to um, figure out that maybe college wasn't too hard. Maybe I could give it another shot. 
Oh no way! Wait, where was this, uh, Chris? Because I, I in uh, some of your background stuff, you're you said that you wanted to be a was it a, a, what's the word uh, uh, geography degree? Yeah, so it, perfect. So where timing. did that come into that? So I after a year and a half, I decided to go back to college to the same college, by the way. And uh, my dad's brother, my uncle, had been a graduate of that place and knew a lot of the professors and stuff. He said, "Why don't you take a night class? A buddy of mine teaches it, you know." Not that you're going to get an A, but like, you know, why don't you just kind of dip your toe in gloves? (laughs) And he was a geography teacher, uh, professor. So um, I did okay, And so I decided to go back. Um, My dad was like, I'm really excited for you. First one was on me. This one's on you. Uh, Now, (laughs) let's just be clear. It's not by today's financial standards. I think my tuition every semester was about 600 bucks. Oh, my gosh. So I had to figure it was a state school. I had to figure out in the summer how to make $1,200 to pay for it. Which, you know, by the way, the minimum wage was about the same when I graduated, too, because I was earning six seventy five at Journeys, the shoe store, while I was going to college. And it definitely did not fund my college. It funded my, like, cheap booze experience. <laughs> yeah, just whatever. Like, you know, I had to work my ass off in the summer and, like, barely make enough money to pay for the next two semesters. Anyway, like many of us, uh, because that guy had got me, you know, I, I went back to full time. One of the first classes that first full semester was a computer mapping class. And my brain just went, this is fucking cool. That's awesome. Now, let's put in perspective. There's no desktop computers. It's all mainframe. And it was the wild, wild west. We were just learning how to do some of this stuff. And what I've now figured out is anything where people haven't figured shit out, that's where I want to be. Like, I I want to be on that forefront of like wild, wild west chaos. Um, and where do you so, think that comes from? Yeah. You know, I tell you where I think it comes from. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to look, you know, here it comes, yeah. you know, I think I want to have more control over things. And by the way, like, I'm not trying to control the chaos, but if I'm in the chaos, I want to, I want, I want, I want to manage me. Like, yeah, I don't want yeah, someone yeah. else, like I, the best way to, decide what you want to do and to control your decisions is to be the person who makes the decision right and yeah, have nobody yeah, yeah. i don't know i'm kind of convoluted do you find do you, I mean, do you find um well it's fine it's interesting based on your background like because i resonate with this i'm not i'm not i don't want to project my own situation on yours but like i find a lot of enjoyment of creating order out of chaos for control <laughs> so like that's my own situation but like i, I mean it kind of ties into your building the fort where, like a fort starts with nothing right yeah. I mean, I mean, and, you know, not only to start with nothing, but like you can kind of figure it out as you go because you're 10 years old and you don't you don't have the capacity, the strategy, the time, the uh, patience. You know, you're not building a six month house like if you're not mm-hmm. done in three days. Not a big deal. But, you know, so um, so I think and by the way, I use I talk about control a lot about giving up control. So. It, this is a different thing. Like mm-hmm. I want to be in the middle and kind of be figuring it out. Maybe there's a little control element, but I don't need to control everything because I don't think you can. And I think that's when you, you know, take the plane into the ground is when you try to control everything. So I'm not a yep. control freak, but I like to be in control of me. Well, and I think, um, and I know what I, what I gathered from the book too, and from your, 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 your experience is like, it's, 
the evolution it's controlling the process is that is that maybe an interesting way of putting it because like you're like because your whole book is about with the five steps it's it's getting feedback getting the right people so it's all about like you said but it's more controlling the process maybe necessarily than because like, right. if you're too too rigid you're gonna fail which you highlight quite a few times yeah yeah exactly i think i think you may be onto something i've never kind of scratched at it you know like we're doing right now so yeah i think that's kind of what Kind of, because uh, even when I left college, when I didn't even know you could be an entrepreneur, never heard of the word, didn't know people started businesses, they were just always out there. Mm-hmm. And I worked for the US government, US State Department for three, four years. I went to work for a large printing company that had a map company buried in it. You know, so I was in these very structured, big hierarchical things. But in hindsight, when I looked, I was still disrupting. Mm. I was still controlling how we did things, why we did things, pitching people on why to do things, you know, shucking and jiving and doing mm-hmm. my thing. So even in those things, I think um, I didn't know what it was, maybe entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. So you're you're sitting there and they're, they're, they're mapping geography with computers. So like, how did you, like, what was like the experience like where you realized that this was, you're on the forefront of this movement? Yeah, I can tell you a perfect story related to what I've already told everyone. So I go back to college. Since I'm paying for it, I got to live at home. The college is about 15 to 18 miles away, pretty much on one road. You know, I'm either like if my car's working, I'm using my car. If my car's not working, I'm sticking my thumb out. If that doesn't work, <laughs> I'm I'm getting the bus, right? You know, and um, so I'd go do that. I'm a commuter, right? So I don't have a dorm to go, you know. So you, what do I do, right? So I end up spending time in professors' offices, right? And I'd be like, so, you know, we just had this class or, you know, and it was mostly this one guy who was learning computer mapping the same time I was. He had taught a very generic flat class. I'm like, hey, I really like this stuff. Let's do more. And we almost became, Ryan, we almost became peers for a long time. And so uh, I would sit in his office and then, uh, you know, back then, because it was a mainframe computer, you had a computer room, right? So he's like, let's, I got this tape from this first mapping software from Harvard. Let's figure out how to get it loaded up and play with it. I'm like, yeah, give it to me. I'll walk it over there. You know, hey, could you load this on the computer? And and, and to answer your question, you know, you're onto something personally, when I would then go home, have dinner, and then say to my parents, can I borrow the car? I, I want to go back out to school. And while, you know, now it's like screw around time, like mm-hmm. computer's free, like, you know, it's not busy. Can I go back? Right. Can I, that, like when you're leaning into that stuff, like, I think, mm-hmm. you know, you're onto something. It's uh, it, And they were like, su- that's awesome. Yeah. Go, go for yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's um super interesting because I, it, it ties into this purpose. And I know that's one, I think that's one of your, your deals. And what I found really cool about that story you just said is that the professor wasn't pretending to know it all. Yeah. And it was, it was fostering like, Hey, you were, you were on this journey together, which is not necessarily always that common. It's like, cause it, you know, I think a lot of people think that they, they have to explain that they're all, they've got it all figured out. So how, where did, how does that translate to, to map quests? I mean, like, I just, I think, uh, and you know, again, in your book, you don't talk a ton about the, the, the linear and then I know it's probably not linear as you talk about, there's a lot of more circular, but how do you, how did you end up doing that? And then also Chris with under the, uh, the umbrella of that entrepreneurship, I like, I think a lot of people 
maybe more my age realize that it was not a thing like you had mentioned already. And I think that's a positive, but also I think we have some narratives nowadays that I think need to be broken out that you and I are going to touch on. But like, how did you think about what you were going to do with all this? Well, remember, we started, we've laid the foundwork of, of, of Hively here that he's a disruptor. He likes to have a little bit of control over the process. He sees stuff that maybe others don't see. Um, he wants to kind of be on that kind of leading, bleeding edge of stuff. Um, I left graduate school uh, where I really went head seat. Um, oh, by the way, as an undergrad, so you went to gra- I was going to say you went from undergrad to graduate school too. So you nine really days, in- nine days later. Oh my gosh! No, it's not like an MBA where you're supposed to wait a couple years. You know, I think in everything, but um, but this was such a wild, wild west. I had met. There was three colleges that had a graduate program in what we now call GIS, Geographic Information Systems, <laughs> then just computer mapping. And uh, Ryan, really weirdly, as a geography major, we're talking, by the way, guys, to let you know, it's like 79, 80, 81, I'm finishing college. I ended up with 12 to 15 hours of computer science credits. I was the only non-computer science major in those classes. But I had taken one programming class and went, this is freaking cool. That's awesome. Now I can control what is happening inside the computer a little bit more. So if you think about the mapping side with geography yeah. and the computer side, and a lot of great ideas come when you jam two things together that yeah. never been jammed together before. So I go to graduate school, University of South Carolina, and there's a lab full of guys like me. And the guy that ran the lab who was a geographer says, uh, so you told me you know how to write code. I go, yeah. And he goes, here's a brand new thing called an IBM PC. And here's an Apple Lisa. He goes, make them draw maps. That was my like my stipend, you know. And you're like, God, this is the greatest thing in the world. This couldn't be oh, any crazy. more fun. Well, and it's uh, I mean, I was watching the Tim Ferriss clip where he was talking about like, you know, the evolution of AI and how like people my generation and below have outsourced maps. I mean, mind you, Chris, my first, I mean, my sales my sales jobs that I was telling you about in copiers, I did have a King's Atlas, dude. <laughs> So I remember getting into almost like head-on collisions because you're going from like B17 to like D88, you know, <laughs> while you're going 70 miles an hour down the down the freeway. But like, so like. But when you're thinking about it, let me, let me, I'll give you the quick little arc of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I leave graduate school, you know, it's still new age stuff. I go to um, the U.S. State Department and work for the office of geographer and build a mapping system on PCs where it used to take them four days to make a map inside the state department. Now it takes them four hours. Right. So you, you can see what we're doing here, right? We're I'm, I'm, and I'm a hack, but you know, Ryan, I'm, I'm bringing a little, this, a little, that Mm -hmm. I'm not going to invent too many stuff. I'm just going to pull shit together Mm -hmm. in a really fast way. And then this mapping company up in Pennsylvania um, asked me if I, you know, they had 30, 40 cartographers. Hey, could you come like you were doing it now for four at the state department, could you do it for 35 of them and figure out how to use maps so we could make them faster? And here's where the fun comes. So we did that for about a year, but there were some other things starting to smell around the edges and not smell bad, but like opportun- opportunities. And um, one of which was, how do, we, how do we make it so that you and I as consumers, you're not sitting with that atlas anymore, <laughs> Right driving down the road or the big road atlas how can we automate some of that stuff 
and just make that a better experience for consumers. So the quick arc goes, and your parents know this, you not so much, but you used to have to go to AAA, right? And get a triptych um, to go from Stillwater, Minnesota down to Disney World, right? In the back of the station wagon. And so- uh, we had one of those wood panel station wagons, Chris. Wood panels uh, <laughs> with, the, with the seat that was backwards. Yeah, yeah, with no seat belts just staring at the people behind it. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly, making fun of them and stuff. <laughs> so, you know, and your dad's running the triptych, right, which is a little four inch by nine inch, but that was the standard. And we're like, well, that's stupid. So we automated that for every auto club in the United States and sold, and sold them a system for that. And then I started going out to California on trips and started seeing CD-ROM show up on desktop. So now you're, so now that stuff, you don't have to go to your auto club. Now you can do mm -hmm. it at home because you have this big disc, right? That has yeah. lots yeah. of storage. And we put it there. We're the first ones to do that. And then a couple, and we did a couple other things that didn't work along the way, but eventually in 1996, 95, we started hearing about this thing called the internet and we threw MapQuest on the internet to see what would happen. And that's so that's so the crazy. quick little art. Yeah, yeah. No, that's so helpful, Chris. And where I, where I was going with my with my thoughts too is like, is the the momentum of like why maps first? Because I think so, you know, so I'm 37 for for some context. And like, you know, I remember the map or the the atlas and all that stuff. And it, it's like my generation, like my specific cohort, I think is very interesting because like I've, I I don't know if there's any science behind this or any research, but there's like this five or six year window where like, I mean, I grew up with no internet, man. Like until like AOL came out and like, you know, uh, my high school and I got the next to walkie talkie when I was like 17 or some shit like that. And then, but I remember my first sales job, Chris, I literally came in and there was 24 salespeople and it was like, I walk in and I have a printout of my map quest yeah. of all of my cold calls I'm going to do that day. And then these older guys are like, how did you do that? Because yeah. <laughs> they would just get in a car and make shit up. But like yeah. when you, when I, I'm the reason I'm bringing this all up is like the momentum of change and the rate of change has just exploded. And that you, you are, it seems like to be on the forefront, where was maps and like mapping of geography on that? Cause like, like compared to like, you know, I think a lot of times now we're looking at all the different rates of change of different other technology, but like, it's difficult, I think, for even myself to go back and say how important it was to map the the geography into into computers. It's ridiculous. You know, uh, so I told you we're in Pennsylvania. So we're not in Philadelphia or Pittsburgh. We're in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, home okay. of 150,000 Amish people still in horse and buggies, right? It's one of the more, I mean, it's a cool little place, but it's one of the more backwards places you ever meet. Mm -hmm. now, I'm telling you that to understand that I think in this kind of being very intentional and 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 kind of in this arc, I don't think we knew better. Okay. All I know is that we had a bunch of really passionate people that were passionate about maps and geography, right? Mm -hmm. And map making. And we were willing to experiment. I think if we were other places, we would have been told no, but there was no one to tell us no. Where today, you and I as adults, and this gets to the whole build the fort mentality, we probably know too much and can give much, convince ourselves what's not a good idea. I think we were young enough and we had enough room to go experiment and yeah. try things out and just go, I think that could be better. And so that was our 
I, I, so I, a, I think we are motivated because we're all a bunch of map geeks sitting around at lunch, going, "How can we? <laughs> I love it so much. How can we do more map geeking stuff?" <laughs> and at the same time, we had like we had none of that adult kind of like, "Why is that a good idea?" Like pushback mm -hmm. that if you get today, and especially if you're for in, other people or for yourself, like you said, it could come from out external or internal. Yeah. So I think uh, in hindsight, I think that was yeah, I and mean, we had a lot of fun. I mean, we had a really great you know. Everyone worked together on stuff, you know, very little politics, very little hierarchy and kind of like company shit. I mean, we threw Christmas parties at my house and other people's houses. I mean, I, when I think back on it, like we said, we had a really fantastic culture, um, either by choice or by luck. Well, and I think it ties into some of the stuff that you wrote in the book about um, a shared common you know, vision and stuff like that. I think some of this that you're referring to potentially ties into like what you and I were talking about before we hit record, which was like the mindset, like, I mean, entrepreneurship wasn't really a coin term back then. You guys were all passionate about a certain thing and you guys just kept using your creativity. And I think this ties into your analogy of building a Ford. What do you think are, are what do you think is different about the mindset of entrepreneurship now compared to what you just described because i think the building the fort resembles what you just described yeah but there might i, I see differences in today's world what people are driving towards you know you and i were talking about the goal like what are people trying to accomplish and you guys are trying to have fun and accomplish a specific thing yeah well i you know the good news is we have we have access to tons of information and data and stuff the bad news is we have access to tons of stuff, right? <laughs> so we didn't have access to that. We only had access to each other. Um, and so when I get, when I, you know, the idea of fort building is that the, the, the major meta message is as adults, we overcomplicate, we overthink, we overanalyze a lot. That's not to say we shouldn't do some thinking, some pondering, right? Some mm -hmm. analysis, but we do way, way, way too much. In other words, we get access to too much information. Um, and I think that that creates a, the, a wrong journey for entrepreneurship. So I'll riff on something uh, yeah. my dad used to say. My dad used to say, if you had to make a pro-con list of having a kid, you would never have a kid. <laughs> right? We would, we, would, we would cease to exist pretty fast. <laughs> right. And so, and and I really think that the lesson is also with, entrepreneurship. If you have to make a pro con list of whether you should start a company, I think you're already done. You're already dead in the water. It defies logic. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a leap. It's faith, right? It's, I see something no one else sees, but so to bring it back to the, the build the mm -hmm. fort mindset is to say, let's try to cut out a bunch of that noise. Let's try to kind of act like we're more like 10 or 12 years old building this fort. Let's make that more a series of experiments and iterations. Let's see what happens. Adjust from there, as opposed to this idea that I have to actually chart out the entire next three years path and make a thousand decisions along the way. And everyone has to be the perfect one. Anybody who thinks like that today, and I think the you know the access to the internet, and the access to information creates this wrong you know journey, right? And I want you yeah. to say, go back to being ten and just start screwing around, right? 
Pardon a quick, brief interruption. I hope you're enjoying the conversation with Chris. The reason I want to drop a note is I can't believe how much Chris surprised me with his answer about he was wildly okay with what ended up happening with MapQuest. We all know that Google Maps, Apple Maps, and Waze came into the marketplace, hyper-competitive, and he was just totally okay because he knew who he was, what he wanted from his business, and why, and he knew that MapQuest was a stepping stone, and I just want that that level of clarity for you because that is exactly what Bo talks about. The one out of four people that are happy with their business long term, they knew all of these things and had this kind of clarity. And if this resonates with you, all you have to do is go into the link in the show notes below, schedule a discovery call with me where we can talk about the two different ways that we might be able to help. One is the coaching program that's based on the intention growth principles and the academy. So we use the academy and some coaching calls to get you this level of clarity. So you know who you are, what you want from the company and why. You have a target equity valuation and the income that you want on the way and how you can align your partners and your leadership team to get towards that target point B. Or the second thing is the complimentary financial assessment that my team offers if you want to jump right in and create a financial roadmap and understand how to actually get visibility into that target equity valuation and all the data and the roadmap that can help you get there. Just use that link in the show notes below and we just will have a quick conversation to see if there's a fit on either of those two options. Thanks everybody for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the rest of the conversation with Chris. Well, I, I think that ties into Chris. I, what well, I think well said, and I is the, what are you solving for? You know what I mean? And like you, you said something that really resonated with me, which is you see something that no one else sees. And that's an opportunity that came from your own experience or your own passion where I think about part, correct me if you think I'm wrong or you see it a little bit differently is like what we're all seeing is people raising money and like you know there's like there's these vanity reasons which i told you my story about you know the like our business i mean dude we 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 won the ink five we were on the ink 5000 year we lost a million bucks who cares <laughs> it's the stupidest thing ever and if you it's like and whether there's like this there's kind of this spectrum i see of acquisition entrepreneurs who are going out and buying companies purely for wealth perspectives, which I don't knock, but it's like, well, why? At some point there has to be a bigger reason or starting a company to promote yourself uh, how much money you raised. Like there's the missing, it's almost like the soul that's missing, which is the creative vision that you're talking about inside of the fort building. And I don't know, man, because like, like otherwise you would just, every micro decision, like you said, stems from the reason of why you're doing it. Well, I, I kind of said, if, if the fort takes more than three days to build, you're not in, right? So, you know, I don't know an entrepreneur that has started something that's been successful three, five, eight years down the road, where the thing that was successful is the same thing you started, right? So we all know there's this winding kind of, you know, we call them pivots or whatever. And, you know, as you start, if you're lucky enough to actually, you know, create a good foundation and start building your company, There'll be new challenges, new technologies, new markets, new, you know, every, there'll be this series of discovery over and over and over again. And so getting, I think back to your thought is at every one of those is a, is a question. Am I still enjoying what I'm doing? Am I still, what for what reason? I don't think it matters what reason, but you better be very clear what mm -hmm. that goal is. Because mm -hmm. um, you have too many goals and it could wishy-washy and you're trying to be a little bit of everything to everybody. You're trying to build the Taj Mahal of your fort. You know, when, when you're a bunch of 10 year olds, you don't need a bathroom or a skylight. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I, using this analogy too, like how, 
Because as forts evolve, and my my twin daughters are seven, Chris. So like we we're, we're building lots of forts, yeah. And then I whip out like, hey, here are some clips and duct tape, and it just blows their mind of what else we can do. <laughs> and right. so, and it, their vision is evolving. And I think about um, in your five, uh, I don't know if you call them principles or uh, or what they are in the book, but the one of the things that I want to ask you is, as the vision evolves like I've struggled with personally because turning around a business that had an infrastructure is different than starting one over the last 10 years that I've, I've lived. So like I said, I've, I did not <laughs> learn. Uh, I, your book resonated with me because of all the, I, I, I shared the, the issues of <laughs> what I've been through, but is how to evolve the vision in an appropriate way while you're then evolving the people and then the money and like, cause like you're, cause you're iterating, you're listening yeah, yeah, and if yeah. you're too rigid, then you're just not going to, it's not going to succeed. But then like things are constantly, about how, how, how did you, does the question make sense? I'm just like that process I've sucked with, I guess <laughs> I've yeah. sucked at that of like evolving by listening to the marketplace of what they want and how it changes. And then making sure that the right people are next to you and then the right capital and cost structure. Yeah. And even then. That works for a while and then it needs to be <laughs> so adjusted. Yeah. So a couple keywords. So one is it is a, I think, a continual process of discovery. Um, so here's one of the things that I think is missing out of a, still a lot of entrepreneurs today. And what I've learned, and and kind of it's like principle one, which is go out and socialize your idea with as many people as possible. Now that's counter to some people who think someone's going to steal your idea. They're not. Um, or that you need to protect your idea. Ideas aren't worth anything, right? We all know well, that. Like you said in your book, there's probably a bunch of other people that have got the same problem. That yeah, you, that tens you, if not hundreds yeah. people trying to solve the same thing you're trying to solve. So um, so go out and talk to lots of people. I, I, I've gotten better at this, you know, as I've gotten older, which is, I mean, have the squishiest of ideas. I'll, I'll be talking to, I'll reach out to four or five people and say, what do you think? Have you, do you see this? Is it, am I thinking about it? And that process, and by the way, you don't have to just do that with an idea. You know, do, you know, we, let's talk about mentorship or having an advisor. You know, I think, you know, the idea of you being this kind of mogul who gets to sit at your desk in your basement or in your office and making all the decisions outside of input to me is just the stupidest thing in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. So at every piece of every stage of your business, there's going to be challenges. I want to figure out how other people did it. What have they mm -hmm. done? So what I find is that people don't do that as much as I'd like to see them do. I agree. And I've, uh, I think that I've been very good at that, honestly, Chris, and I, I don't want to use only myself as an example, but then it's, um, cause like, I mean, my God, like, I don't want to screw this up and I want to know if other people are going to pay for this. Yeah. But like what I've seen, it, it, do, you, do you say that this is true or not, or to some degree of like people get their ego gets stuck on their original idea. And then they have like this fear version of like people, you know, bashing their, like it's almost like their identity gets infused with that original idea. Like yeah. what are your thoughts around that? Yeah. I see it all the time. I mean, um, I go back to that discovery, like, listen, fantastic. You're starting with the thesis. You have something that you think you see. Well, let's go out and prove that. And by the way, maybe it's not that, maybe it's a slight version of that or something, a different market, a different product, different service. Why don't you go out and figure that out? Because what I want to do, I say to them, is I want to save you time and money. Startups fail because they run out of time and or money. 
Mm-hmm. And so the last thing I want you to do is, you know, quit your job, you know, work off your savings for a year, you know, throwing 40, 50, 80 grand, whatever it is away and come to the end of the year and go, yeah, I don't know anything more than I knew back then. And so, you know, I think this is that I get back to mindset. I, I want to give you a discovery mindset, not a, you know, it all everything. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest with you, Ryan, I think there's less and less people who come in going, I know exactly how this is going to play out. Yeah, you know what? I, what I think I, I I could see that with the startup world, Chris. I think about the you know the traditional businesses that are out there that need to continue to evolve too, where it becomes there's this Harvard Business uh, Review um, article from like the '80s about the five stages of growth. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but they talk about like in stage three, where essentially the owner and their and their personal situation will dictate kind of the evo- the innovation of it because like you can essentially just clip coupons and use this thing as this like piggy bank but then you're not going to continue to listen and to evolve i think this is very applicable to companies that have a traditional business that also need to to continue to think about like hey how are their customers evolving too yeah and the first thing is go and ask your customers or look at who your customers are have they changed over time because if you're not adapting with them then there's risk. I mean, I think about restaurants. I think about, mm-hmm. you know, marketing services. Um, one of my favorite stories, Ricky Woolman is this, ma- you know, unbelievable marketer, tech tech marketer back in the day. And uh, her customers are, are uh, paying her to help her market. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, this goes back 10 years, Facebook changed their whole model. And that's, and she's like, how the hell do I help my customers market on Facebook when they've changed the whole how they're going to do marketing and uh, advertising. So she creates this little sandbox, a little side company. She's interested in books Mm -hmm. and she's going to use that as a sandbox. So she could learn to see what happened. So she could take that and go back to her customers. A year later, that thing takes off so big. She's been running that now with her husband for six years. And it's a huge, um, uh, it's called free booksy. Fantastic thing. Most, mostly for, um, fiction, not nonfiction. And, uh, but I love that story that, you know, there was like, okay, I don't know. I got to go figure it out. I got to get smarter. I'm going to go do the side thing that ends up being something, you know, Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. that serendipity that comes that again, if you have a control mindset that you can control every decision and make every perfect decision and continue to make those on and on, whether it's a menu for a restaurant whatever it is, I just say, God, I, you know, if you are, you're really special. You're like one in a thousand. I think it goes back it to probably not the, by the way. Yeah, right. Right. Oh, I mean, you just look at all the dictators over history. I mean, they, 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 they isolate themselves and to think that they're going to be the ultimate, you know, and then it, we all know what happens over time. Yeah. Emperor but has I think no what, clothes. Right. Right. And I think, um, it goes back to controlling the process of chaos. Cause the, the one thing that we have that's consistent is change. But there's a process to to managing that change is I think what your your five steps have and the, the second one I of, of uh, identifying the people around you I found interesting because I've personally struggled where like the as the idea has evolved then the people become different yes that's hard yeah <laughs> so how do you how do you manage that? And again, I, I, like it's controlling the process. I think like this is what I'm driving on right now. But it's like, how do you how do you communicate and continue to evolve the people around you to help your evolution of this process? Well, some won't, as you know, and you're implying, right? So, to me, it's just business. 
And business, you know, when we're talking, when we're around the, or in the business, it's got to be what's best for the business, not best for us as the founder or CEO or best for, you know, whatever roles in there. Um, I have, you know, pivoted businesses. You know, I spent 12 years parachuting into other companies to kind of fix them for a while, which as you no, it's not as fun as it looks. <laughs> so well, I went yeah. back to starting them. <laughs> uh, but my point of that is that, you know, you know, if you gather enough data, if you talk to enough people, if you start to craft a new vision or altered vision or whatever, maybe it's the same vision, and you share that with your staff, some people are going to be on and some people are not going to be on. And as long as you're communicating those things often and honestly, and authentically, then there's going to be certain times when people just go like, this isn't a match anymore. And maybe they say it, maybe you say it, and it happens both ways. And I think you got to be okay with that because what's right for the business has to trump all of those individual things. And how do you balance those two, Chris? So like, how do you balance where like, I think the echo chamber that people could get into with their people. So like, let's say for example, like, um, I don't know, I wasn't going to drop, but like, it's like you had this trajectory where you see that it's one plus one equals three, but then as the rate of change and things evolve, it, it kind of diverges. How do you stay sane as far as like what is right for the business versus like the, you know, the narrative that has been told amongst the the key team members? Yeah. I, you know, on a personal level, I'm not saying it's right for everyone, but it's the way that I did it is just, I'm always, I always viewed my team members as peers and that we're all kind of rowing the boat together and, you know, I always wanted to be an active listener. I always wanted to get different perspectives. At the end of the day, someone's got to make the decision. And if you're the CEO or founder or president or whatever, you make that decision and you go forward. And um, I think if you bring enough people in then and you collectively say, all right, we're going to go in this direction, then there's no surprises. You know, you had we had our we had our. Uh, what if meeting now we're going to do the how meeting right mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, uh mm -hmm. if, if you didn't express yourself in the what if meeting then you you know you can't change it in the how meeting we've already moved on from that um yeah i mean I like that i like that I, the business is it, going to evolve or i mean let's get back to you know clayton christensen and and uh the innovators dilemma like the only thing you can control is really you know understanding who your customers are consistently, you know, constantly doing that, um, getting that feedback, making sure you're not over adjusting, but you're making sure all that information and knowledge comes in and keep making decisions. And if you are really good at communicating back to your, your staff, your people, then I think more times than not, that'll be a successful journey for mm -hmm. at least internally speaking and people, but invariably there's going to be at least one person that says, I don't, believe in this. I don't want to do that anymore. And I think we should go back to doing the old thing. And yeah, then the hard conversations would be had. hard conversations. How did, how did these no surprises, team? right? In right, that right. process. Right. And hopefully there's a process to deal with that instead of that being a surprise in itself. How did this unfold with MapQuest? I mean, because we all know that like, obviously, like, you know, Google Maps and Apple Maps and Waze and all this stuff came out. How did how did this unfold? when you guys were such at the forefront? Well, I'll tell you on a personal level, I mean, I um, soon after we launched MapQuest and had a lot of success, um, I ended up joining uh, that parent company 
and sitting on the board of directors of of um of MapQuest. And so now my roles like almost switched. Not that it's hierarchical, but mm-hmm. now I'm a board member, not a active producer. Um, at one point we'd kind of merged in a, a different company that helped us do all of this kind of digital mapping stuff. And there was a guy, Barry Glick, who was um, I think nine years or something older than me. And he was an obviously going to be the CEO. And I was okay with that. I had my ego in check, mm-hmm. uh, even though at times I thought I could do that job. Right. I mean, we wouldn't be who we were. If we yeah. Didn't yeah. <laughs> um, and now all of a sudden I'm sitting on his board. Right. And now I'm talking about compensation and all these things. I think we managed that really well. Um, but at some point, um, before we took MapQuest public first in 1999, when all the crazy stuff was happening, all the internet companies, um, it was obvious that, uh, they needed a professional board for a public company. And this 35 year old, 36 year old, you know, very strongly opinionated, maybe not as, as, uh, calm and cool and collective as, uh, you know, you are when you get a little older. Um, shouldn't be part of that. And I recognize that maybe even before they did. So that's gotta be tough. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't tough. Oh, really? It wasn't tough. It's because how come, what, what, what did, what, what, what led it to be not so tough? Uh, I'll go back to what I said, what was right for the business. Yeah. And I could kind of subjugate my own ego and, um, yeah, how did just- you get how did you get there, Chris? And here's why I'm asking because um, what set me on my journey is after we sold, um, I read this book called Finish Big by Bo Burlingham. I don't know if you're familiar with the book. Bo was the editor of Inc. Magazine for like yeah. seven years, and um, love the guy. And his t- his whole deal is that one out of four people are happy when they sell their company. The other three out of four aren't, and that's what set me on my entire journey. And one of the main reasons are people didn't know who they were, what they wanted from their business and why. And a lot of it has to do with this role identity infusion, kind of like their business is their baby. It's their identity. Or did like, was that ever a thing in your situation or? It's a fantastic question. Um, maybe because I was starting a little bit of transition over a couple of years. Right. Some time um, element there. And so it wasn't such a light switch kind of moment. Um, it was a little bit more gradual, but what I'll tell you is that I, if I can jump forward a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, um, I went through about a five to six year period where I did like four different things, like switch, pivot. So maybe not uh, consciously, but maybe subconsciously. To your mm-hmm. point, I was struggling with, well, what am I going to be next, okay. right? Okay, and um, and. Uh, it was funny because it was probably about six or so years later. I'm now in Chicago, had been for a few years. Um, I'm at this precipice. And and Ryan, not that I ever thought that I'd ever do one job for a long time, but I'd done these like three switches in six years and was feeling a little unstable and and you know, wife and kids. And you know, the wife's like, you know, dude, like, you know. WTF, what's going on here? <laughs> I've heard that conversation. I had that conversation before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We all know it very well. And, and, um, but Ryan, I woke up one day. God, I tell this story all the time. It's just amazing. I woke up one day and because I was, you know, stressed, right? That I couldn't find whatever the next path was. Not that I was regretting the old path, just mm. where's the mm-hmm. next thing that I can sink my teeth to that has a little more legs than the, 
three things in six years kind of thing. And, um, and what I realized for me, I think, I believe I was about 42 at the time, as best as I can remember. I woke up one day and I said, this is who I am. I'm going to be doing a series of three to five year things. It's just who I am. Chris, look at your past. Look at what you've done the last six years. Yeah, a little bit more floppy, but this is who I am. So you can either sit there and go, what the fuck? Why am I like that? Mm -hmm. Or I could lean and go, that's who I am. And let's manage to that. And so I remember taking that to my wife and she's like, really? I'm like, no, no, no. It's good news. (laughs) (laughs) I spun this around and I'm going to tell you why this craziness is actually a good thing. I love it. But what I can do is now, and I was, I talk about this in the book, managing your, you know, your emotions and managing your psychology, your finances and your physical being. And so what it made me do is to say, all right, listen, here's how I'm going to manage the finances. Great. Here's how I'm going to, I, I know that each of these little mini chapters will come to an end. My choice, their choice, market's choice. And at the end of those, instead of the psychology be going, oh shit, I just shit the bed again. It's going to be great. All right. This chapter's coming to an end. Let's figure out what the next chapter is going to be, which is what you enjoy anyway. Yeah. And so it's played out almost exactly like that. And every time something has come to a close, I've had a much different attitude about that, which saves me like the trough of disillusionment, you know? Oh, that is so helpful, Chris. And is this, um, I'm thinking about your analogy of the fort. It's like, like I tell my girls, you can't have that fort up past Sunday because we got to go back, but we can build another one. So you're a fort builder, but you didn't get, you didn't have your identity built into that one fort. I think that's a fantastic tie in. Yeah. So just be more forts. Super fascinating, Chris, because like the in the, the kind of the spirit of what we teach too is like is by understanding what people are trying to solve for, they can figure out how many forts. I guess using your analogy, how many forts they want. But like this, usually what I hear over the I mean almost four hundred podcasts is like people have that they're they're stuck in that one fort, yeah. and then what happens is like the control of the ownership changes, and then they want that ownership wants different things for the equity or the distributions on the mechanical side. And then there's this massive misalignment yep. and then it's resentment. And like, it's like, there's like, it's just like this decoupling of the identity, psychology and money, all of this at once. And it just is very painful for people. So it's very fascinating how you got to the point where you identified with the Ford building, not the Ford over time. I'm going to have to steal this because you've done a fantastic job of, I think, summing it up in a sentence. Yeah. And that's for me. I mean, you know, I think for if you're an entrepreneur, you're not going to just do one thing, right? You're going to do multiple things. And, well, and, by and they, they all have to, don't have to be companies. They could be nonprofits. They could be anything, well, right? Agreed. Don't you? A hundred percent, Chris. And like what I what I like to say is, I'm curious as as you reflect on the uh, the founders and the startups you've been involved in. Like I say in my my workshops, my keynotes, I don't give a shit what you want. Just identify what you want. So if you really like that fort make sure it's stable and you can live in it forever. You know what right. I mean? Like, but if you don't, so it's like, it's like, I don't think it's right or wrong. It's more of like this misalignment of what the hell someone wants. And then them just like going back to like Inc magazine, being like, this is what everybody's doing. So I went public. And like next thing you know, like, I mean, for God's sakes, the guys that wrote conscious capitalism, I mean, I don't understand. So John Mackey who wrote conscious capitalism, like he sold the Bezos. 
So yeah. like, like, so there's, or the Jerry, I, uh, it was the Ben and Jerry's ice cream, you know, they're, they're so conscious capitalism led and then they went public and then they're in shareholder battles all the time. Right. So it's like, it's like, what are you doing? If that's not like, it, there's a misalignment. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, I think that comes down to awareness, really good self-awareness of what you want and what's important. And, you know, like when you take someone else's money, you're giving up control. So just you set that course. Mm-hmm. They didn't mm-hmm. set that course. I, you know, you know, investors have a, have a, a thing. Don't be surprised by their actions. I would say, <laughs> I would say investors, investors only have two tools in their toolbox. One is they give you money. And second is they fire you. <laughs> it's the only tool tools they have. Yeah. So don't be, yeah. and by the way, they only fire you. They don't want to fire you. They only fire you when you didn't execute what you said you would, what your right. shared vision was. So if right. you, if you, car- if you charted this vision of where the company is going to grow to, to, in order to take their money and the company doesn't go there, or, or, yeah, it's, it's, it's the shared vision of the of the company, but also like, you know, there's a lot of people listening that are, are constantly getting bombarded by private equity. It's like internal rate of return within one period of time. Like it's, like, <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's in every freaking book here. I know, right? So, so, and by the way, so you can say to yourself, so you have a couple options here. One you could say is that's not my vision for what my company is. I'm going to, I'm going to pass on the potential large dollars that comes with the PE deal in order, because what's more important to me is running this company in on a nice, slow, steady basis. Mm -hmm. Okay. Option one. Option two is I'll take their money and, uh, and I'm going to fight them the whole time. And I'm going to be surprised and I'm going to battle this. I'm like, okay, you're like, it's going to happen. You're going to have, by the way, I will provide you the therapist, the entire ride. (laughs) Right. And, and, and and by the way, you know, then good luck with your divorce and your children not talking to you anymore. Right. Because you're going to be a miserable SOB. Right. (laughs) And maybe the third option is, Hey, listen, um, I'm going to remember that this isn't about me. It's about the company. We'll take the money. We'll start doing this stuff. And at some point there's a very good chance that the roads will split. And at that point, I need to look at myself and say, I'm not the best person for this company anymore. I knew this was not a matter of if, it was only a matter of when. And I'm going to use that as a place to close that chapter and start my next chapter, mm-hmm. aka I'm going to be more, I understand on it that I'm a fort builder more than I'm into this fort. Yep. Yep. Make your choice, eyes wide open. That's awesome. So fort builder versus this fort. I'm telling yeah. you, it's going to show up in all my keynotes now. I love it. Yeah, it's your it's your, it's your analogy, man. <laughs> um, yeah, you just made it a little better. That's awesome. Well, but like, how many of the founders that you come across have this kind of clarity, Chris? It's not many. It's in the ten to twenty percent. Um, but Ryan, I think I was really lucky. I think I had some. I had the epiphany. But you know, if you look hard enough, there's more examples of the media we talked about. The media highlights. The Jeff Bezos, the Steve Jobs, the Mark Zuckerbergs, they highlight the the sole person who goes from beginning all the way to end. Right. I mean, that is like point something of something of the whole. And so I think I was maybe I was curious, maybe I was doing my socializing bit, but I met more people who managed their exit or their role change going from CEO to CTO. Hmm. Hey, we've now got this company. You know, Robbie Allen, great friend, built this company up, 50 employees, which is usually a magic mark in companies, right? At 50, you're now, you're not 
you don't know everyone post more mm-hmm. than 50. You're HR not comes involved, there's energy. hierarchies. Yep, yep, yeah, you yep. now have a hierarchy. Your job changes to CEO. He's like, not as much fun. I'm out. And he twice he's kind of, you know, exited his own startup with that mm-hmm. mindset. So I think if you look hard enough, there's really good examples of people who very self-aware, understand what they're good at and what they enjoy. And at some point, fantastic. Congratulations. You've built your company to this level. Now let's bring in someone who's really good at taking it from that level, who's wired that way, who wakes up every day, making the trains run on time. With all your investments that you've made now in founders and companies, what weight do you put on this characteristic? Huge. Yeah. I, in fact, more so than even the idea. Yeah, right. I would get because, oh my God, the drama and the conflict and the tension you know, that would result if not having that is just ridiculous. And, you know, like, you know, I, they say that, uh, you know, good, good investors become good because of pattern recognition. And I had to, you know, I had not unlike you, I had to learn that post haste on many occasions. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I ran an accelerator, my own accelerator with a partner for uh, two different ones over about a six year period and, you know, 40, 42 investments and probably 3000, you know, applicants for those 42. Wow. Yeah, and, you know, you start to see stuff and you start to see how people react and you kind of figure out a couple of questions to ask to kind of see how they react. And yeah. And by the way, I'm not saying you can't be a, you're not a Jeff Bezos. You may be, you're just not going to play the game that I believe in. So why work together? Right. Go yeah. do your own thing. Just, be a lone wolf. You know, have all the answers already. Fantastic. Just don't take my money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just about, it's just about alignment. Yeah. That's, so what's your, what's your goals or your wish for the build the fort? Cause you said you're looking at a series, right? Yeah. So uh, 2015, build a fort, how to start anything really for founders in April of this year, I released Build a Fort, the Startup Community Builders Field Guide. So my startup over the last five to six years, and maybe even 10, depending on how I want to count, are Ryan, is how to how to start a communities built. How to how do how can you in your city, you know, Birmingham, Alabama, Durham, North Carolina, even Stillwater, Minnesota, how can what are the things that the leaders, economic development folks, university mm-hmm. folks, government, investors, entrepreneurs, how do they all work together to create an environment where more entrepreneurs can be successful? Mm -hmm. Because I believe uh, we were talking, you know, keynotes and stuff. And usually from stage, I say, you know, raise your hand if you've had an idea for a business. And you know this, like 98% of the hands go up. I like keep your hands up if you've you've taken the first step towards that. And 98% of the hands go down. And I'm like, I'd like to help fix that. And because I think my view is that somewhere around five, three to five percent of er- of every city are entrepreneurs broadly defined waiting to happen. Mm. I don't have any like yeah, no, I, I, I can math that, on though. that, just all my reading and all my observations. So the question is if the number is really like half a percent and it could be as many as three to five percent, what can I do to help people who have an inkling, don't know what you would do as your first step, hence the book? The first book, second book. Mm-hmm. How do uh, how, how can others create an environment for those people to lean in mm-hmm. and say, "I'm gonna I'm gonna try something." And so that's been my journey for the last five years. I've consulted all over the world in helping economic development people hopefully do it better. 
help their own economy, awesome. help their own citizens. I, yeah, I I think we need it. I mean, like, in, we need it for the right reasons too, not just the the kind of the surface ones that we were talking about. Because I think it, oh, the amount of joy that I think comes from being an entrepreneur too, if especially if you can <laughs> you can eliminate the bumps and bruises like you you lay out in your book. I mean, there's a way to do it in a less painful way than I know that I've experienced, and we've seen seen other people go through it. So back to your question, back to your, you know, your, a little bit of your question, build the fort is a mindset, how to simplify things, how to eliminate some noise, how to take four or five easy steps, maybe to just get started. You know, there's some other uh, versions of that that I'm thinking about. Um, I'm starting to get the itch to, to write again. Uh, you know, when you, when you write something, you know, you might finish your writing, like for me about this time last year, but then there's four to five months of changes and covers and pictures and formatting and research to make sure you said the right things. You know, and then there's a whole publication of the book. And then there's another six months of helping Marketing. them market it, yep, and, yep. you know, meeting great people on podcasts and standing on stage in front of people. So, you know, it's been a year since I've been other than my blog that I've been writing. So That's we'll awesome. see what happens where, where, where can everybody find you and the, the, the books, the writing, et cetera. So both books are available on Amazon. Um, just search for Chris Hively, H-E-I-V-L-Y. Um, I also have a, a my own website called Hively.com. I produce a, a weekly email, uh, comes out Thursdays. They're kind of fun. They're short. Very. I wrote uh, 275 or so articles for Inc. Magazine back in the day. Nice. Um, so uh, I don't do that anymore, but they taught me how to, you know, really short to the point to the point out yeah <laughs> you know rinse and repeat rinse and repeat and uh and i do hit the hit the stage usually somewhere between 15 to 20 times a year all over the country hoping to um get a few more of those so if you're an event to organize i got a couple and, ideas of events that you should go to uh, a friend of mine matt paulson down in cedar rapids i think it's cedar rapids no or no it's sioux falls i uh, got a couple other places that i think um would really enjoy this topic so i'll i'll get a list of uh, a couple of people that we'll have to put you in touch with chris this is how this works right we 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 uh our, our network connects we build meaningful connections we help each other out yeah and that's me and i showed you my nice little lake view and uh I'm also, I'm 64. God, this is the first time I just had a birthday God. last week. So I had to figure out, I, I've been telling people the Beatles wrote a song about me um, when I'm 64 anyway. <laughs> uh, and now uh, you're, now you're playing it, right? Now I'm playing it. Uh, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and uh, I have open office hours, by the way. So hivelay.com, go to my office awesome. hours. I meet probably five to eight entrepreneurs every week. Anybody can sign up. There's no gate, no judgment. And uh, we have 20-minute conversations. And that's how I stay current, right? I love it's it. We'll put all those links in the show notes, Chris. Yeah. Thanks, hey, Ryan. This has, been a, this has been a blast, Chris. Thanks so much for coming on the show and spending time with me. Ryan, it's been my pleasure. Great to connect. And, uh, and I look forward to doing more together. Thanks for listening into that conversation. I hope you found the time valuable. If you enjoyed the conversation, please leave the show a review on your podcast player. We're constantly trying to up those reviews. It helps a lot with the visibility. And if you didn't catch the commercial in the middle of the episode, there's two different ways that we can help you. One is if you want that kind of clarity, we have a coaching program that is based on the five intention growth principles and uses the material to help you get that kind of clarity on your target equity valuation and income that you need on the way towards that valuation. 
what you want from the business long term and why, and then how to get aligned with your leadership and your partners so that way everybody's working in the right direction to get you what you want. And the second way is if you want to jump right into the data and you want to actually build out your financial roadmap with your three statements and tie your financials and your operational data to that target equity valuation, my team offers a complimentary financial assessment. Either way, all you have to do is go use the link in the show notes below, schedule a discovery call with me. We can walk through your situation, figure out if there's a fit or not. And if not, I can point you in the right direction. Thanks everybody for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed this episode and I will see you next week.